Well, good morning. Hey, this is a Omaha Vineyard Church. We're glad that you chose to tune in. My name is Saul Cruz, pastor here. And uh, we have been looking at um, the Gospel of Luke, focusing on the, <clears throat> the revelation of God the Father through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the incarnation of God himself, walking and dwelling among humankind, and in many of the stories that we've been looking at, the teachings of Jesus and the actions of his followers are counter to the religious, <laughs> the teachers of religious law that are popular at the time. Or maybe popular is too strong of a term, right? <clears throat> so there's this group, the Pharisees, they're a social movement. I'm just going to turn this off, if that's okay. End up being a distraction. The Pharisees were a social movement and in a school of thought in the time of Jesus. And I got this definition that says the dis they distinguished themselves by strict obedience of the traditional and written law and commonly held to have pretensions of superior sanctity. So they thought a lot of themselves, right? They were focused on their righteousness based on their actions. Uh, the uh, in contrast to the strict observance of the traditional and written law, we see God the Father revealed through the life of Jesus forgiving sins, consorting with and being close to sinners, healing through uh, and healing the sick on the Sabbath. <gasps> For shame. For the Jew, the Sabbath is a holy day of rest, a gift of rest from God. For the Pharisee, the Sabbath is a day of hypocritical overbearing. Jesus and his followers keep choosing to trust and obey the Father and submit themselves to the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Faith is spelled R-I-S-K. And that's a foundational saying in the Vineyard Movement. And as we follow the trajectory of Scripture through the life of Jesus and the disciples, we see this thread of humble obedience and risk-taking that leads to miracles and kingdom breakthrough. And I, you know, one of the things that we, hopefully, all of us, have come to experience in this time of quarantine and, and uh, all the other things that have happened in the last year, that God's presence isn't just in a church building. We can experience God's presence everywhere, anywhere. His presence is always, he is always present. And we can tune into, we can be present with his presence at any time. Like we were singing before, when we're down, when we're up, and we've seen it happen, right? Um, a couple of weeks ago, we, we looked at Jesus was invited to a <clears throat> Pharisee's home for dinner, and he forgave a woman who had lots to be forgiven of, 
and in uh, <clears throat> the last uh, last week, a woman was bent over because of a an evil spirit, and she wasn't even looking for healing, and Jesus healed her. Said, "You're no longer um, in prison, bound, chained by this this demonic spirit. You are my you are the daughter of." the living God, and he is going to show his grace on you. Actually, we're going to see kind of the same thing in, in, I'm going to be going way off script here, but in Luke chapter 14, we have another uh, healing like that. I'll just start, uh, I think we're going to be looking at one through six. On one Sabbath day, Jesus went to eat dinner in the home of a leader of the Pharisees. Mm. Get your best duds on. And the people were watching him closely. Wait. Okay. So let's set the stage. It's the Sabbath day, and we're at the, the house of the leader of the Pharisees. Woo! Starting to sweat already. And they're watching him. There was a man there whose arms and legs were swollen. In some translations, it says he has dropsy which is a, a swelling of like the, the joints. Everyone ever have that? Pain? Yeah. Bengay, all the, all the essential oils, pour them on there. There was a man there whose arms and legs were swollen. Verse 3, Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in religious law, <clears throat> gentlemen, may I have your attention? I have a question to ask. And here it is. Is it permitted in the law to heal people on the Sabbath day or not? I'll wait for your answer. When they refused to answer, Jesus touched the sick man and healed him and sent him away. Then he turned to them and said, which of you doesn't work on the Sabbath? If your son or your cow falls into a pit, don't you rush to get him out? Again, they could not answer. And I, I was thinking about this, and God's presence is truly in, there's, there's nowhere he's not king, and so there's nowhere he's not. And sometimes he can be present through the most unlikely of places, the Internal Revenue Service. When Heidi and I were first married and very young, we had a child. Our first child was born in December. Aw. And then the, the following, you know, January, February, March, is tax season. So this is our first time having a child as part of our household, so I'm filling out stuff, and blah, 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 and I see this thing, and it says earned income credit. I'm like, well, she was only in our household for two weeks, so I, I don't think I, I don't think this is, I don't think I get this. So I filed my taxes, <clears throat> sent it in. Months later, I get a letter from the IRS saying, you did earn this. All we need is your permission to send this to you. Oh, and by the way, since we would have given this to you by April 15th, we're going to have to add uh, interest to it. Yeah. Even when we don't 
recognize or understand what we are part of and what we have access to. That doesn't matter. God's goodness and God's grace, you don't necessarily have to ask. He already knows and he may want to do something in your life in front of others so that their faith is raised up. And that's what happened. And it, in, in uh, was it 13 that you were talking about yesterday or last week? No. no. Chapter 10? I think it was 13. Well, Jesus heals on the Sabbath, 1310. Yeah. Oh, 13 and 10. Aw. Here we go. <clears throat> so Jesus, again, heals on the Sabbath. And he, he's, he, he talks to these Pharisees and teachers of religious law. It's like, listen, guys. <clears throat> who doesn't work on the Sabbath? And that was the big deal. That was the big deal. The Pharisees had this idea that healing was considered work. And Sabbath was, no, 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 don't work. So they had taken this gift of rest from God and they had twisted it into religion. You got a problem with the pastor not talking positively about religion on church on Sunday? On church? church? (laughs) Buckle up. So Jesus is saying to the Pharisees and the experts in the religious law, dude, guys, be self-aware. Recognize the truth that when your beloved child or even an animal that is a revenue stream for you, if a person or thing that you value needs your assistance, you do rush to help. Doesn't matter what day it is. Doesn't matter if you're at church or at at a Pharisee's house. And by this, God reveals himself to care more for the living than for religious law. And today, I don't know that any of us would think that a miracle done on a Sunday or during a church service or at dinner at someone's house would be an issue. It's just a a different culture, I'm, I'm assuming, right? So are there places and times when God's blessings seem inappropriate? Are there rules or laws or ideas of appropriateness that we apply to serving or ministry or even to God himself? Hmm. All right, I'm going to just leave that right there. We're going to pick up where our our primary... um, Scripture is today. Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 35, the cost of being a disciple. So, Jesus, he's, he's in a public place, he's at the Sabbath, he heals. Oh, God is good. He's at a Pharisee's home, and those guys love to have lots of people around, so they were inviting people to, to dinner with him. He heals. Whoa! This guy is, he's bringing the kingdom of heaven. 
So some feelings are stirred up. And here we go, starting in verse 25. A large crowd was following Jesus. He gets popular. And people say, I want some of that. A large, crowd, a large crowd was following Jesus. He turned around and said to them, If you want to be my disciple, you must hate everyone else by comparison. Yeah, your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters. Yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. <clears throat> so, these amazing, miraculous things are happening. God is revealing himself, and he's better than these religious rules. And people want that. And they start to follow Jesus. And Jesus turns around, and he decides, okay, you guys want to follow? I'm going to read the fine print to you. Um, let's get real. Let's get real about what it costs to be a disciple. He encourages them to count the cost before jumping in. What does it truly mean to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? Once you know, are you still willing to engage in risk and trust God that he's a good father? And so he says, by comparison, you must hate everyone else. No other relationship is to come before Jesus. Israel of the Old Testament dealt with idols a lot. In your relationships, compared to your love and obedience to Jesus, you must hate everyone else. Now, I've got a commentary explanation here that might help. The word hate expressed a disciple's turning from others in preference for God's kingdom when called to choose between family loyalty and discipleship. So, brothers and sisters, moms and dads, wives and husbands, Am I willing to turn from any and all of those in preference for God's kingdom? And then he says, if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. Well, cross today, I mean, the cross in Roman times, was a brutal and humiliating death sentence. It'd be like waterboarding. What Jesus is saying is, <clears throat> following me means a complete humiliation. If you're not willing to 
completely identify with Jesus, you cannot be his disciple. Interesting. And then, um, yeah, because the kingdom of God is about humility and not self-exaltation. Very countercultural, even today. I mean, in, in the Pharisees' day, they were, they were self-exalting. But today, we got social media likes, and we got followers, and we got social scores. We got, I got more money than you, or I'm more famous than you, or I'm more, I'm more successful than you. And advertisers and other influencers are always pushing a version of this all the time. You can be if you buy. If you're not willing to be publicly associated with Jesus, he says you cannot be his disciple. And again, all the feels, all the feels. And maybe you're like, you got young love, right? Starry-eyed puppy love. Oh, there's nothing. I would do anything for you, Jesus. And then Jesus goes into like a couple of examples of what he's talking about. He's like, okay, I understand those feelings. Let's check those for one second and bring our brain into it, right? So verses 28 through 32. Don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? Otherwise... You might complete only the foundation before running out of money, and then everyone would laugh at you. They would say, <laughs> there's the person that started that building and couldn't afford to finish it. I'm, not, I'm just pointing this way. Those of you on this side of the room. Or what king would go to war against another king without first sitting down with his counselors to discuss whether his army of 10,000 could defeat 20,000 soldiers marching against him. And if he can't, he will send a delegation to discuss terms of peace while the enemy is still far away. So, he, he, again, he tries to bring in this very practical mindset. Don't follow me if you won't do it all the way. Is that what he's saying? It seems like that's what he's saying. This is almost, I mean, it seems like a way to allow people to get out of being a disciple. Like grace. How much faith, how much risk, how much trust is being a disciple going to require? More than I've got. What does Paul say about faith? It is a, a fruit of the Spirit. It doesn't need to be our faith. It can be God's faith. 
Otherwise, maybe I'll finish because I think, yeah, I start quoting something here. <laughs> so you cannot become, uh, let me just read it. <clears throat> All right. Luke chapter 14, verses 33 through 35. So you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. Salt is good for seasoning, but if it loses its flavor, how do you make it salty again? Flavorless salt is good for nothing, good for neither the soil nor the manure pile. It's thrown away. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Jesus is getting real. He's trying to make it real plain, real practical. Can we, can we get our minds around the counting of the cost? Flavorless salt is not beneficial for anything. It's thrown away. Wouldn't we think that if you're building a following, um, starting a religion, planting a church, you would want every person, every dollar, right? Every volunteer. There's a goal, and it's going to take all of us to accomplish it. But God is relational. Jesus is relational. Holy Spirit is relational. It's almost like he's saying, don't embarrass yourself by starting something you can't finish. Even if what you want to start is a, relation, a discipleship relationship with Jesus. And this made me think of how the Bible talks about the church as the bride of Christ. Where Jesus is the groom and the church is the bride, right? For those who want to be a disciple of Jesus, understand the cost. Understand. Jesus wants, you to, wants us to understand the cost. He wants us to check those feelings for a moment, engage that brain, and really do the math. Once you understand, once you've got all the, once you can, you can make an educated decision, will you engage the risk to put your faith in God's love for you and be a disciple of Jesus? One of, um, one of the stories I have from my heritage is my great-great-grandfather, Emerson Ryder McKinney. Sounds like a guy wears leather pants and shoots things. Well, Emerson Ryder McKinney, <clears throat> when he was in college, he came to this crisis moment where it, it, it was like he got this talk from Jesus. And he decided, okay, let's get real. And so he took all the money, or maybe his, his bank books or whatever, and he put it all on his bed, everything that had value to him. 
He laid it all out. And he looked at it. And he said, okay, Jesus, I'm all in. Everything I have, everything I've got in this world, everything I own, Let's trade. I'm all in. I will say yes. I will give up everything I own. I will hate all the other relationships in my life in comparison with my love for you. I will take up my cross and follow you daily. God's desire is to be in a relationship with you. And, it, you know, when we look at, you know, a very traditional wedding vow, think of this in, in terms of my relationship with God. To have and to hold from this day forward, for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, forgetting everyone else for as long as you live. The crowd started to follow Jesus. And he was like, okay, let's take a moment. And let's get real. Sure, I do want you to be in relationship with me. But are you willing to be in relationship with me? Are you willing to give up everything to be my disciple? Are, are you willing to forsake all others for the rest of your life? Having God revealed to us in the person of Jesus Christ, will you say, I do? Will you trust him? Do you believe that he has forgiven your sins? Do you expect his favor and his smile and his blessings to seek you out and pursue you all the days of your life? Will you forsake all others? Will you carry your cross and follow him? Love does not control God always gives you a choice. And he lets you make your choice. When uh, he sent the 72 disciples out to the villages to proclaim that the good news was coming, he told them, if you're not welcome, leave them with the fate of their choice. And tell them, the kingdom of God is near. You aren't ready to give up everything you own to become a disciple of Jesus? That's, that's on you. That's your choice. And the kingdom of God is near. What does that mean? What that means is God doesn't want to play puppet master. He wants a, a true reciprocal where I love you and you love me relationship with us. 
And if you're not ready for it, I'm going to leave you to the fate of that choice of yours. But always know that the gates of heaven are always open. Isn't that beautiful? Sometimes, sometimes it's, it can get, it can really throw a monkey wrench in our, in our understanding of how do you get to heaven, right? To see how gracious and loving and relational God is. As disciples of Jesus, as his followers, our role is one of humility. We get to reveal the Son of God and the heart of God in humility. Jesus was in conflict with the teachers of religious law so much because they held on so tightly to their self-righteousness. They were trusting in their strict obedience of the law to save them from their sins. I'm going to paraphrase uh, Jesus and and Paul and say, that way is not possible. That is not how we roll. You can't do it. Sorry. And honestly, it is cruel and pointless to hold other people to standards that could not be maintained by the leaders of the religious law back in Jesus' day. We as the Omaha Vineyard Church are to operate in humility. And one of the things that we heard when we first came to this church from the pastor at the time was, we know we're not the only game in town. If, if this doesn't become your home, we'll be happy to work with you to fit, find another church that fits better for you. That like sold me right there. <laughs> we do not exalt ourselves We do not humiliate others. We exalt others and humiliate ourselves. And that can seem risky, right? What if I'm treated badly? Really, the question should be, can I trust God to meet my needs and take care of me? After counting the cost, will you engage in risk to follow Jesus, to be his bride, forsaking all others for as long as you live? I have a little, um, what do you call it? A little story <laughs> to share. Parable. So <clears throat> there's a church picnic. And the day of the church picnic comes, and an old single guy remembers. And you're supposed to bring something to share. So he opens up his fridge, and all he has is a big jar of mayonnaise that has stuff at the bottom. Mayonnaise. 
It's mayonnaise. It's an empty mayonnaise jar, basically. And you got like two slices of uh, um, pimento loaf. And so he, he, and he's like scraping and he's getting you know, mayonnaise on his knuckles from trying to get, get at the stuff on the bottom. And he puts together this pathetic sandwich. He shows up at the park. And there's families and you know, people hanging around. And he finds a, a picnic table. He's invited to a, a picnic table by a family. And, and the, the young mom with lots of kids, she's got her picnic basket. And she's taking out fried chicken. And she's taking out salad. And she's taking out thick, delicious-looking sandwiches. And, and she says to him, why don't we, she sees a sandwich. And she says, why don't we put our lunches together and share? That's grace. That's the relationship we get with God. We bring our pathetic little sandwich <laughs> of, of a life and skills and, and whatever we've, you know, all of our mess. And he says, yeah, bring that. And we'll just, we'll, we'll share. I'll share what I got and you share what you got. And the beautiful thing about being in relationship with God and <clears throat> living our lives as disciples is he does invite us to use those skills, those ways that we've been made, that you've been made very special and he gives us good works to do. He has created good works for us to do. He's created us to do good works. So yeah, there is a cost. You do have to open up that fridge. And you do have to put together whatever you can put together. And you do have to show up at that picnic, but then you get to share in being in a, in a child-father relationship with God. I said yes. <laughs> I invite you to as well. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit that makes your word alive and that your spirit is within us and can teach us truth. God, help us to just keep our eyes on you in the midst of, you know, things that, that we read that can be confusing and Lots of different voices with lots of different um, positions that we hear all day, every day. God, help us to keep our eyes on you. Keep it simple for us, Lord. I love that you just get real practical. Can 10,000 soldiers beat 20,000? No. Okay. Well, then send a delegation out. Otherwise, you're just going to get wiped out. 
do you have enough money to build a whole building? No, all I have is enough to build a foundation. Well, don't get laughed at. Don't start something you can't finish. What grace, Lord. Continue to teach us and grow us into obedient, humble followers of you, into your bride. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let me pronounce our blessing, and then we'll have some ministry time where we can pray for each other. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hmm.